this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. I would like to welcome you to an exciting new series I'm putting on each month in 2017. In the month of January, I'm going to go through 30 days to a better compliance program. So each day, I will detail some part of a compliance program that you can utilize to help you improve to have a best practices compliance program for 2017. With the operationalization of compliance mandated by the Department of Justice in the form of their Compliance Council, Wei Chin, and incorporated into the FCPA pilot program announced by the Department of Justice in April 2016, it's more important than ever that you upgrade your compliance program and show how you've operationalized. In this series, I'm going to help you do that. I hope you will enjoy this series. I hope you will join me, and I look forward to this journey with you. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to day 30 and the final day of 30 days to a better compliance program. Today I wanted to end with some thoughts on why compliance isn't going away. As I've gone through these 30 days, one of the things that has been made clear is that compliance has become a part of a business. And it began as a legal requirement, certainly, starting with the FCPA passage back in 1977. But since that time, these laws have prompted companies to develop internal resources that actively monitor compliance with laws, rules, and regulations of their industry. And the FCPA is certainly one of them. The next step on the evolution of the compliance profession after the FCPA's passage, was in 1980 and the defense procurement standard scandals where industry sales of $400 hammers and $600 toilet seats to the U.S. led to the defense industry ado- adopting a sense of, set of principles endorsing ethical business practices and conduct within its industry and dealings with the U.S. government. Next, in the evolution of the compliance profession, was the 1992 sentencing guidelines, for the fir- which for the first time set out what the government would consider for credit in the sentencing of business organizations. Many tribute these 1992 guidelines for the creation of the modern compliance profession. These guidelines included credit for specific elements of an effective compliance and ethics program, and companies that embarked on such programs would be eligible for more lenient sentences. To qualify as an effective, a company's compliance program would not only have to establish procedures and standards to prevent and detect criminal conduct, but would have to more actively promote a culture encouraging ethical conduct and compliance with the law. The recommendation of those guidelines in 2004 reflected the need for corporate boards to demonstrate knowledge of compliance programs and fulfill fulfillment of oversight responsibilities as part of monitoring the effectiveness of a company's compliance and ethics program. The next major step was the financial accounting scandals of the late 1990s and early 2000s, including Enron, WorldCom, and Tyco. These scandals were so wide-ranging with senior executive participation, if not directing corporate fraud, that a new legislative response was required And this response was the passage of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2001. Aaron Einhorn, 
has said that <clears throat> Sections 302 and 404 of SOX together require corporate executives to state their responsibility for designing internal controls, to create such controls, to assess and evaluate these controls, and to draw conclusions about their effectiveness. SOX specifically charges executive officers with internal control duties. Einhorn ends by noting that internal controls have been transformed from a recitation of general duties lodged upon a corporation as a whole to a statement of specific duties imposed upon corporate executives in particular. This strengthened the compliance professional who is called upon to design these internal controls. The next major legislation which enhanced the compliance function was the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, which, of course, was passed in response to the 2008 financial crisis. The downfall of Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers as drivers of more compliance because they demonstrated the degree to which external risk can create a loss of confidence resulting in permanent reputational damage and impaired shareholder value. The legal and legislative response has been that companies should have designed or should design, rather, effective compliance programs that use risk-based programs to design, create, and implement their effective compliance programs. Joe Howe, the executive vice president for Orkiva, has gone further, and he draws a straight line from FCPA to SOX to Dodd-Frank in the development of the compliance function. All of this means compliance is not going away, no matter what law enforcement priorities of the new administration might mean. Companies understand that compliance and business ethics have a role in not only driving business strategies and initiatives, but the more compliant companies are better run and, at the end of the day, more profitable because they have better controls. Compliance programs can provide multiple rewards from risk mitigation to reputational enhancement to business strategy development. In short, the compliance profession is where the magic happens in a corporation. Whether it be the specific task of making sales, vetting relationships, or the spade work of creating policies and procedures, it is compliance that drives the discussion of how we should do business. The compliance profession fulfills a business obligation in doing things the right way, for at the end of the day, it will be the compliance profession which implements the requirements of compliance, whether those requirements are anti-corruption laws such as the FCPA, the UK Bribery Act, any money laundering laws, export control laws, antitrust regulations, or any other regulation you can name. Equally important, the compliance profession is teaching corporations how to evaluate risk not only better but more efficiently, and the compliance profession leads that discussion. It is the compliance profession that is the most innovative in not only protecting corporations but actually helping corporations do business, do business more efficiently, and at the end of the day, do business more profitably. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what it's all about. I'd like to end this series with a quote from former Secretary of Gates, uh, former Secretary of Defense Robert Gates, from his book, Duties, Memoirs of a Secretary at War. This is the single best paragraph I have ever read, which talks about the power of compliance. And here it's specifically FCPA compliance. So I'm going to quote from page 365 of his book. In a private meeting, the king, and here he's referring to the king of Saudi Arabia, committed to a $60 billion weapons deal, including the purchase of 84 F-15s, the upgrade of 70 F-15s already in the Saudi Air Force, 24 Apache helicopters, 
72 Black Hawk helicopters. His ministers and generals had pressed him hard to buy either Russian or French fighters, but I think he suspected that was because some of the money would end up in their pockets. He wanted all the Saudi money to go towards military equipment and not into Swiss bank accounts, and thus he wanted to buy from us. The king explicitly told me he saw this huge purchase as an investment in the long-term strategic relationship between the kingdom and the United States, linking our militaries for decades to come. So I would ask you to consider how many ways the FCPA draws into that discussion and how many interests you can see United States interest from that paragraph. I can identify at least five. U.S. security interest, U.S. foreign policy interest, U.S. military interest, U.S. economic interest, and finally, the American goal of the rule of law and international business transactions. All of that is because of the FCPA. The king of Saudi Arabia may not have known the words Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. He may not have been able to recite any of the law, but he certainly knew its effect. It knew that U.S. companies were prohibited from putting money into Saudi ministers' pockets, which would end up in Swiss bank accounts. So at the end of this uh, 30 days journey, what are the three key takeaways from day 30? Well, number one, doing compliance is really doing business. Uh, I cannot emphasize too much uh, the Ethisphere Annual Award of the World's Most Ethical Companies and why they um, are more profitable than the S&P Standard Index. It's because they, not that they're more ethical, they are more compliant. They are more compliant because they have more financial internal controls. Two, in working through and walking you through today's podcast, hope you understand the evolution of compliance. In many ways, compliance responded to scandals, <coughs> accounting and fraud scandals, but that's how we got the uh, modern-day compliance profession, and we will continue to evolve, and you need to evolve with us. And finally, the Robert Gates quote, if you are ever asked to defend FCPA compliance, I can think of no better quote than that from Robert Gates. This is Tom Fox. I hope you have uh, benefited from 30 Days to a Better Compliance Program. I certainly have enjoyed bringing it to you and working through it with you. I hope you will join me because I'm going to make this a monthly uh, podcast. We're not going to do 30 Days to a Better Compliance Program, but we're going to do one month on a specific topic. In February, we're going to take a look at the Board of Directors and what a compliance officer, a chief compliance officer can do to help make the board of directors better, more efficient, and more helpful in an FCPA compliance program. If you have any questions about anything that I have uh, brought up in this 30 days, I hope you'll email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to 30 Days to a Better Compliance Program. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.